0: Welcome to the Jed Breaks Bread Podcast. My name is Jonathan Edwards, and I serve as a pastor at the Grace Brethren Chapel, located in Northwest Ohio. The goal of this podcast is to teach God's truth and how to apply it accurately to one's life so that our orthopraxy might be as good as our orthodoxy. May you be blessed as you contemplate God's Word. greeting, saints and fellow bond slaves of Jesus Christ. Grateful to be with you for another podcast episode today, and today we're going to be looking at something that is rapidly um, gaining traction in our popular culture, and it's, it's gaining so much traction that I've even seen a, a church in my local area advertising on behalf of this campaign and uh, communicating that they're going to be talking about and discussing this particular campaign during their Sunday morning worship services. Now, you may be asking, well, you've probably already seen the title. You know what I'm talking about, and that is the He Gets Us campaign. The He Gets Us campaign. And you can find their website at uh, hegetsus.com. This campaign began sometime in 2022. To the best of my understanding, it began in 2022, but they really gained notoriety. They really gained attention for their ads during the Super Bowl. Now, if you're an American uh, or really anyone in the world, you should know that Super Bowl ads are not cheap. I believe the I believe the cost of the Super Bowl ads for the 2023 Super Bowl that just occurred uh, in February of 2023 was around seven million dollars for a one-minute time slot. Seven million dollars for a minute time slot, and this particular campaign, which um, is purporting to communicate truth about the life of Jesus Christ spent uh, you know somewhere between $3.5 and $7 million to have their ads run during the Super Bowl. And obviously, this caused a lot of attention. It brought a lot of attention to them, which is the reason why you do a Super Bowl ad in the first place, right? We do a Super Bowl ad to get eyes on our product, and that's why they're so expensive. The Super Bowl continues to be one of the most well-known Or, well watched events in the entire world. Now, the He Gets Us campaign gained a lot of notoriety from this particular advertisement that they ran. And, you know, I've thought about it for a while and I already had some other podcasts scheduled. And so it's taken me a little bit to get to reviewing the He Gets Us material and um, doing a deep dive in it to see whether it's biblical or not. Is this something that Bible-believing Christians should embrace. And I'm going to just let the cat right out of the bag, right from the get-go, and I'm going to say, no, Bible-believing Christians, Christians who claim to have a true love for Jesus and who claim Jesus as their Lord and Savior, should not embrace the He Gets Us campaign. We should not embrace the He Gets Us campaign for three specific reasons— Number one, they misunderstand the mission of Jesus. Number two, they practice eisegesis, not exegesis. And number three, they make too much of Jesus' humanity. And if time permits, I have a bonus reason why Christians, true Bible-believing Christians, who love Jesus and want to serve Jesus and want to see Jesus' name made famous in the world through the preaching of the gospel— I have three. Re- these three reasons are why you should not embrace the He Gets Us campaign. Okay, so first of all, the He Gets Us campaign misunderstands the mission of Jesus. Let me just read to you from their website. These are their words, and now I took this from their website on March twenty third and March twenty fourth of twenty twenty three. So, as you know, people can change, edit alter their website at any particular moment in time. What happened to me a few years ago when the Black Lives Matter uh, campaign came out is I did a podcast exposing Black Lives Matter, and not because of me, but other people did this similar podcast, people who are much more well-known and more famous than me. They changed some of the information on their website. So take this for what it is at this present moment in time. The He Gets Us campaign mission statement on March 24th, 2023 is this. He gets us is a movement to reintroduce people to the Jesus of the Bible and his confounding love and forgiveness. We believe his words, for example, and life have relevance in our lives today and offer hope for a better future. Okay, on the surface, that doesn't sound too bad, but if you really know your scriptures well and if you're really familiar with the life of Jesus and you really understand the life of Jesus, you would know that this two-sentence mission statement is sending up massive red flags, massive red flags. Is it true that Jesus practiced love and granted forgiveness? Yes. Yes, it is true. However, the way that Jesus practiced love And the reason why he granted forgiveness is totally undefined on the He Gets Us website. It's totally undefined. And so that leaves it up to every individual who encounters this statement to define the confounding love of Jesus and the forgiveness that Jesus offers. I will be fair to them and say that they do have an article talking about the incredible forgiveness of Jesus— But nowhere in there do they talk about repentance of sin as the basis for Christ's forgiveness. They just talk about the fact that if you forgive, it helps you release anger and frustration towards the person whom you are forgiving. All right? That, what they have promoted here, is not the mission of Jesus. Okay? Now, I grant you this. Jesus did do loving acts, but his loving acts were designed to point people towards God the Father and their need for a Savior. The miracles that he did, the healings that he performed, were to confirm the truth of the message that he was proclaiming. And the forgiveness that Jesus offered was always based upon repentance. It was never just a blanket forgiveness. It was never just a forgiveness that said, well, I know, I know that you've fallen short, therefore I forgive you. No. You know how we know that it wasn't just a blanket forgiveness? Listen to the topic sentence of Jesus' per- first public sermon, recorded in Matthew 4.17. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, interestingly, that's also what John the Baptist preached. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this gives us a clue as to how forgiveness could be granted to an individual. Forgiveness could be granted based upon repentance. What is repentance? Repentance is turning from one thing towards another. Turning away from one thing towards another. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of action. So, repentance implies that you recognize that you're a sinner, that you violated God's holy standard, God's holy commands, and that you, as a sinner, are um, ripe to receive the justice of God. You are ready Or you should be expecting to receive the judgment of God upon you for your wicked sin. And therefore, you repent. You say, Lord, I changed my mind. I'm not going to sin anymore. I repent of that. I turn away from a life of sin. And I am going to turn towards this person named Jesus who died on the cross to be the Savior for my sins. That's how forgiveness can be granted. That's how forgiveness can be granted. So their mission statement misunderstands the true mission of Jesus. Now, let me tell you what the mission of Jesus is from his own words, okay? Now, if you just have to get out your own Bible, read the Gospels, and you too will understand the mission statement of Jesus. He's very clear on what his mission statement is. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So I would say that the He Gets Us campaign people would probably agree with this. Oh yeah, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. But but they're not going as far as Jesus went. He gave his life as a ransom for many. How in the world did Jesus pay for the price of the sins of the whole world? What was his true mission? Was it just to be a good example? No, his true mission was to give his life as a ransom for many. It was a payment that satisfied the wrath of God. And those who trust in Jesus, who repent of their sins, who put their faith and trust in the work that Jesus did on Calvary and in the power of God to raise him from the dead on the third day, those are the people who will receive eternal life. Those are the people who will truly receive the forgiveness that Jesus has offered. Now, I have to say to you, on their website, they talk about the statement that Jesus made on the cross Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. That was a prayer that Jesus gave or made. And it was not blanket forgiveness, because the actual forgiveness that was granted to those people happened. On the day of Pentecost, 50 days later, when during Peter's first sermon, 3,000 Jews, some of whom witnessed the crucifixion of Christ, repented of their sins and believed in Christ and were saved. And so Jesus' words on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, was a plea from the Son To the Father, to not hold this sin against them as quote unquote the unforgivable sin. Jesus was asking the Father not to count this, not to prevent them from repentance because of the fact that they were shouting, Crucify him, crucify him, and were there mocking him. Now, Paul in the book of Romans explains even further. Uh, And in more detail, the mission of Jesus Christ. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The truest expression of love that Jesus showed was on the cross of Calvary. The greatest expression of love that God the Father showed was in giving his son to be put to death by wicked sinners so that he could save those very sinners. That's the confounding love of Jesus. It's not wrapped up in the good deeds. It's not wrapped up in the miracles, although those things are great, and Jesus did provide an example for us. But the real love of Jesus is demonstrated on his death at Calvary. Nowhere could I find this information on the He Gets Us website. Nowhere did they have an explanation of how you could actually have a personal relationship with Jesus through the forgiveness of your sins by confessing and repenting from your sins. They wanted Jesus who does loving deeds, but without any connection to the cross or to repentance. And so when you magnify the loving and kind deeds of Jesus without connection to the cross, it robs those deeds of their power and their significance. It robs the person of Christ from his deity, from his true mission— and ultimately, Jesus just becomes another great moral teacher, like Gandhi or Martin Luther King Jr., rather than the one and only Savior who can bridge the gap between wicked sinners and a holy God. My friends, this is the biggest argument against the He Gets this campaign. They misunderstand the mission of Jesus. They do not preach the gospel. They do not understand that Jesus came to die to pay the penalty for sinners. Rather, they emphasize the good deeds that Jesus did, the loving actions, the service, and those things aren't wrong. But apart from the cross of Calvary, why would we follow Christ? Why would we follow Christ? So, the first thing that he gets his campaign gets wrong is that they misunderstand the mission of Jesus. Secondly, they practice eisegesis, not exegesis. Now, I, I, may, I recognize that these may be big words for some of you. Uh, you may not be familiar with them. Both of them come from the Greek language, and I wanted to find them for you, okay? Eisegesis, all right? Eisegesis. This means that you interpret a text through the lens of your own perceptions, agendas, or biases, so, so eisegesis and exegesis are both methodologies of textual interpretation. So when you read any text, whether it's the biblical text or whether it's a, a book of fiction or whether it's a newspaper article, when you read any text, you can practice eisegesis or exegesis. Eisegesis is interpreting the text through the lens of your own presuppositions, agendas, or biases. This is commonly referred to as reading into the text, okay? So let's just say that um, a good example of this would be when I was in college, I studied English literature, and one of the classes that I went through was critical theory. And in critical theory, we learned a number of different lenses to use while interpreting a text. There was a historical lens. There was a feminist lens. There was um, a socialist lens. Okay, There was a capitalist lens. So you could put on all these different perspectives and interpret the text through these different perspectives. Now, all that means is you did not allow the author to speak for himself. You read into the words of the author and made them say something that supported your bias or your pre-established position. And that's why I have a problem with eisegesis. That's why good Bible scholarship does not practice eisegesis. Accurate Bible scholarship does not practice eisegesis because when you practice eisegesis, you are trying to prove one of your already held points of view. And you are basically establishing some type of confirmation bias. I believe this, and so I'm going to go find a a Bible verse or a Bible passage That confirms what I believe or appears to confirm what I believe, but the fact of the matter is it probably doesn't, all right? But you're reading into the text. Now, the other thing, all right, the other way to interpret text is through exegesis, all right? Exegesis is when you interpret or you read a text through the lens and the limitations of the text itself. And it uses the text to establish definitions and limits of meaning. Exegesis is often described as the literal, grammatical, and historical interpretation of the text. It is not concerned at all with an individual's pre-held assumptions or biases. In fact, if you're doing exegesis properly, it will often challenge your pre-held biases or assumptions. All right, exegesis means that I'm going to let the author of the text and the plain meaning of the words of the text speak for themselves, and those are going to provide meaning. Now, I don't want to get too philosophical here, but I'm going to share something with you, okay? We live in what is known as a postmodern world, and one of the main tenets or main pillars of postmodern thinking is that you can define truth any way you want to. And because of that, it's very difficult to have conversations with people because you can use a word, and somebody can have a different definition for that word than you have. And and so you're talking past each other all the time because of the different definitions that are used. Exegesis seeks to use the historically established definition of a word— and all the other words in the text, and it works hard to try to f- find the exact meaning of a particular word. It's true; some words have multiple meanings. If you go to the dictionary and you look up a word, you'll see like a one, two, three, four. Sometimes it's A, B, C, D, and there those are different levels of meaning or definitions of meaning that that word can have. if you're practicing exegesis, you're going to find the correct meaning of the word for that particular text and context, okay? Exegesis, if done well, will result in different people coming up with the same interpretation. So I could look at a text of Scripture, and you could have somebody—I'm just going to pick somebody famous—like a John MacArthur look at a text of Scripture. You could have somebody like a um, Justin Peters look at a text of Scripture— you could pick a believer from China or India or Africa and have them look at a text of Scripture, and if we're practicing proper exegesis, the, the interpretation of the text that we come up with is going to be extraordinarily similar. And that's the consistency of exegesis. It's similar because it's based on an objective standard of interpretation, which leads to an objective interpretation which leads to clarity in regards to what God said. That's very important. Without exegesis, you don't have clarity as to what God says. You end up with what I think God says, or what God says to me, or what God said to you over there is different than what God said to me, so just go ahead and do whatever you want to. Now, how do I know that the He Gets Us movement practices eisegesis? Well, in their own words, here's what they say. We look at the biography of Jesus through a modern lens to find new relevance in often overlooked moments and themes from his life. They've just told you their interpretation philosophy. They're looking at the text of Scripture from a modern perspective, to find new relevance. So they're they're putting on glasses of postmodernism as they look at the life and times of Jesus. And they are trying to find new relevance. So they're actively reinterpreting what Jesus has said. They're reinterpreting what has been communicated about Jesus by eyewitness testimony and they are making it into whatever they want. Whatever is relevant to them, it's new relevance. Not old relevance, new relevance. So it could be new today, and next week it could be something else new, and the week after that could be something else new. Now think about this. The New Testament has been around for nearly 2,000 years. It's been finalized in its canonical form for nearly 1,600 years. Do you really think that somebody from the 21st century is going to come up with a new and radical interpretation to this text of Scripture? No, they're not. All they're going to do is find new ways to twist Scripture so that they can sin in any way that they want to. Because they practice eisegesis, I find that the accuracy— of their interpretations is highly fallible. It's not accurate. It should not be trusted because of their interpretation philosophy. How do you know that they're telling you the objective meaning of the text? You don't. All you know is that they're going to interpret it with their own modern lens. Now, addition in addition to the fact that they are practicing eisegesis and they say so on their website, here is another fact that makes me very suspect of their interpretive methods, okay? Their interpretive methods. They say on their website that they are committed to listening to the input of both Christians and non-Christians to help redefine and reimagine Jesus. All right, the the He Gets Us campaign is not all about Christian scholars examining the life of Jesus. It's Christians and non-Christians together redefining and reimagining the life of Jesus. That, to me, is totally bogus. How can you have a non-Christian helping you to redefine and reimagine the life of Jesus? Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person, that is, the person who is an unbeliever who is not born again does not accept the things of the spirit of God for they are folly to him and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Again, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 and 15, Paul says this, "Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion" Does a believer share with an unbeliever? The fact that the He Gets Us campaign is trying to take all kinds of different individuals and put them together and reimagine Jesus tells me that it's not a genuine effort to discern the Son of God. What this is, is a genuine effort to remake Jesus into the image of fallible man. We have taken the lofty Jesus from the Scriptures— We have taken Jesus who is holy, Jesus who is righteous, Jesus who is almighty. We have taken that Jesus, and we have tried to bring him down to our level. And so, their Jesus is an idolatrous Jesus. It's not a true depiction of Jesus. That's the second reason why we cannot trust the He Gets Us campaign. And that actually leads right into the third point that I have. Which is that the He Gets Us campaign makes too much of Jesus's humanity. What do I mean by this? They make too much of Jesus' humanity. Let's first ask this question Was Jesus a human? Yes, he was. Did he face the same temptations that all humans face? Yes, he did. However, however, he was also 100% divine. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, describes the unique nature of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He existed in the form of God, but he put aside the independent use of his divine attributes in order to be made in the likeness of man. This was an act of great humility on the part of the Son of God. And he was made in the image of man and as a result of that, he suffered as men suffer. Was he lonely? Yes. Was he tired? Yes. Did he go hungry? Yes. Did he become tempted by sin? Yes, we know that. Satan came to Jesus in the desert and tempted him with sin. And yet, so so Jesus does understand the struggle of humanity, all right? He does understand what it's like to be human, and that's why the author of Hebrews can say in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, "...therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, He is able to help those who are being tempted. And again, in Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So does Jesus get us in terms of our humanity? Absolutely, he does. He can sympathize with us. He understands our weaknesses, but, and here's the rub: we fail to recognize that the injustices we experience as humans, and the struggles that we deal with, the temptations that we face, we the he gets his campaign fails to recognize that these are all because of the effect of the curse of sin in our lives. They are due to the curse of sin that has been um, placed upon all of creation through the single sin of Adam in the Garden of Eden. So, we, because we are sinners by nature, in some way, we have deserved or earned these injustices as a natural consequence of sin. Now, I'm not saying they're right, but we deserve it. We have earned it. It is the natural consequence of sin but Jesus never sinned. Therefore, he did not deserve any injustice. He did not deserve any suffering. He did not deserve any mocking, any scorning, any reviling. He didn't deserve to be put to death. He did not deserve any of that because he never sinned. And yet, he endured it all for the sake of the cross. He endured it all so that he could reconcile sinners to a holy God. He endured it all because he was not just a man, but he was the God-man. And his goal, his purpose, was to do the will of the Father who sent him. He never ceased to be deity. It was not possible for him to sin, even though the temptation was real. He did indeed forge an example of faith for us. He pioneered a pathway. That's Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. He was the author and perfecter of faith, but but he's not like us also. And so they make too much of Jesus's humanity by emphasizing his humanity and de-emphasizing his deity. This is how They make a Jesus in the image of man. Oh, look, Jesus was just like you. Well, he was, but he wasn't, all right? And and that's the tension with the Son of God. Jesus was like us, but he was totally unlike us. And, And that's one of the beautiful things about the person of Jesus Christ. Yes, he was tempted in every respect as we are, but without sin, Man, that that feels good to know that Jesus has suffered and endured the same temptations that I suffer and endure. On the other hand, on the other hand, Jesus was divine. I'm never going to be divine. I'm never going to be divine like Jesus. I, I will have a resurrected body someday. I will be free from the very presence of sin. My body will be transformed, but I will never be divine. And so, the He Gets Us campaign makes too much of the humanity of Jesus, and that's part of how they make an idol out of Jesus in the scriptures. All right, well, those are the three main reasons why I don't think that you should endorse or get behind the He Gets Us campaign. But let me give you a bonus reason, okay? Let me give you a bonus reason. One of the common themes on their website is that Jesus was not judgmental. Jesus accepted everybody. The Bible, however, and Jesus himself, says that he will judge every person. Now, listen to John chapter 5, verses 22 through 29. These are the very words of Jesus himself. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, So that all will honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And he, that is the Father, gave him, that is the Son, authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming, in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice, and will come forth, those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Jesus will judge. And one of the really unfortunate aspects of the He Gets Us movement is that they present Jesus as someone who is non-judgmental. That's a lie. Now, let's be, let's, let's, let's think about this. How are they thinking about it? All right. They're thinking, well, Jesus, uh, Jesus dined with sinners. Jesus, you know, forgave the woman who committed sin in John chapter eight, the woman who committed adultery in John chapter eight. And, And those things are true, but you know what his call was to them? Repent. It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. He is referring specifically to spiritual sickness and their need for a Savior from their spiritual sickness, which is sin. And to the woman in John chapter 8, he said, go and sin no more. Did he execute the exact judgment that she deserved at that moment in time? No. But I can promise you this, if she didn't go and repent, there will come a day when she faces the judgment of Jesus. You cannot read the Gospels and read the epistles and look at Jesus and his mission and walk away thinking, man, Jesus is going to accept me just as I am. No big deal. If you come away with that understanding of the Son of Man, with that understanding of the Gospel, you are incorrect. You have read into the text what you want to see. You are not seeing what the text says. Is Jesus willing to accept every sinner who repents? Absolutely. But the key word there is every sinner who repents. Who repents. I'm going to take you to a passage that I think helps to define this very clearly. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Do you know what? In that list, in those two verses... Exists every single person who's ever lived on the face of the earth. We've committed one of those sins, if not multiple of them. But here's the great news such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. You were a wicked sinner, but if you have repented, if you have put your faith in Jesus, You are now justified. You are now sanctified. You have been cleansed of your sin, and you have been declared righteous in the sight of God, and you are a child of God. Jesus will judge. And to those who have not repented of their sins and placed their faith and trust in him as Lord and Savior, those individuals will perish. They will stand at the great white throne judgment. Their deeds will be found lacking, and they will be cast into what God calls the lake of fire to suffer a conscious existence of torment for eternity future. There is no getting out. Jesus is judgmental. He will make a determining judgment about your eternal destiny. And so you better make sure that you've done what what you need to do to be right with Jesus. You need to do repentance. You need to practice humility. You need to live in obedience to the commands that he has given. My friends, the He Gets Us campaign doesn't get it. They don't get it. They are a recycled liberalism. And my friends... We cannot tolerate that. We cannot associate with it. We can't be a part of it. Please, please, do not get behind. He gets us. All right, I know that today was a bit of a rant, but it's a well-deserved rant because it's really irksome when people misrepresent the person of Jesus Christ. It leads people astray. This is exactly what Satan wants. Satan loves the He Gets Us campaign. Therefore, you should not. You should not. All right. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Uh, again, if you have suggestions, please email me, gracebrethrenchapel at gmail.com. That's grace, B-R-E-T-H-R-E-N, chapel at gmail.com. And I'd be happy to um, take one of the topics or suggestions that you have and turn it into an, a longer episode. All right. Thanks so much. God bless you.